This morning, like I said earlier, you may notice that there are new signs uh, around the church building, two of them. Uh, the one, there's one over in that corner right there, says, uh, held together by his love, Ephesians 4.16. That is our theme for the year, being held together by the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ. The other sign you may notice is one that says, Ephesians, uh, who we are in Christ. And that is our new teaching series that we're starting today, this series on the book of Ephesians. And, and when I was doing my research and studying for this new teaching series that we begin today, I started to notice a word in, in the, throughout the book of Ephesians, and that word is in. Over and over again, Paul, the author of the letter to the Ephesians, he uses the word in time and time again. He talks about being in Christ, in him, in, in God, in the Lord, in Jesus, over and over and over again. This, this idea of being in and, and I began to notice that he talks a lot about who we are in Jesus Christ. What is, I, I think sometimes we have an identity crisis. That we're not sure who we really are. That we really don't know our true identity. You know, when, you, when I think about identity, I think of comic books. I think of, you know, uh, like Superman and, you know, his, his secret identity. You know, who is, who is his secret identity? Was Clark Kent. That's right. Or Batman, who was Bruce Wayne, thank you. Spider-Man? No, nobody knows Spider-Man, right? <laughs> Just knows Spider-Man. So Peter Parker, yeah. And so you've got all these uh, different superheroes with these secret identities. And I think that sometimes as Christians, we, we're not sure who we are. Like maybe we have a secret identity that we just haven't maybe discovered. We haven't figured out who we really are. And so as we study the book of Ephesians, we're going to talk about who we are in Jesus Christ. As his followers, as his people, as his children, who are we? What is your identity? Now this book, this letter to the Ephesians, uh, was written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, around 62, 63 AD. Uh, he was imprisoned in Rome and he wrote this letter to not just the church at Ephesus, but they, the scholars believe that it was kind of a circular letter, that it went to several of the churches in what was called Asia Minor. And Asia Minor is what is modern-day Turkey. So this letter was circulated through different churches around the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a major city in, in Asia Minor. And it was a, a city, and the churches there were made up of primarily Gentile believers. And the Gentile believers of Paul's day had an identity crisis. They, didn't, they weren't sure who, who they were. They, they didn't know who they belonged to. So Paul kind of writes to them and tells them who they are in Christ. So that's who we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about this identity that we have in Jesus Christ. When God created the world and he called for himself a people to be his own, uh, the Jews, the, everyone else was kind of excluded. It wasn't supposed to be that way, but that's kind of how it happened. So everybody else was excluded except for the, the Jews, God's people. And then Paul writes in the book of Ephesians about how God was going to take, there's this mystery that he talks about. Six times he uses the word mystery in the book of Ephesians. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to chapter 3. But for today, I just want to kind of share with you what this little mystery is all about. It's how God was going to take people that weren't his own, these Gentiles, and how he was going to make them his own people. And how he was going to incorporate them into the family of God. How he was going to adopt them as his children. So you have all these Gentile believers whom he's writing to. 
And they have this identity crisis of we're not really a people, we're really not the people of God. And sure enough, God is going to take them and make them his people. And Paul is going to share with them their identity, who they are in Christ. So you may or may not wonder who you are. You may have a very clear, defined sense of self. You may have a very clear, defined sense of your own identity and who you are in Jesus Christ. But if not, this sermon series, this teaching series is for you. If you ever question, who am I? What does God see when he, when he looks at me? Who am I in the church? Who am I in the church family? Who am I in the kingdom of God? This teaching series is for you. So we are going to work our way through this book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. It's going to take us all the way up to Palm Sunday. So all of January, all of February, and all of March, up until April 1st. April 1st is Palm Sunday this year. April 8th is Easter Sunday. And then after that, we're going to do some things, and I have some ideas that I can't wait to share with you about what we're going to do this summer. (laughs) I'll I'll give you a hint what we're going to do over the summer. Siskel and Ebert. Ooh, what does that mean? You'll have to stick around and find out. But uh, for today, we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians. So grab your Bible, or grab a Bible, and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 14 in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to start with verses 1 through 4. Paul, he identifies himself as the author. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. I love that. He chose us in him. If you have a bulletin, you can turn to the back page. And you'll find the handy-dandy outline. We throw this on the back of the bulletin every week. uh, So you can follow along. And you can fill in the blanks. The first blank on your outline is chosen in Christ. Chosen in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Paul says that the uh, Ephesians were chosen in him before the creation of the world. They were chosen in him to be holy and blameless in his sight. One of the concepts that we're going to talk about here in in Ephesians is the idea of predestination and foreknowledge. And what exactly do these things mean? What does it mean that God has predetermined things? What does it mean that God knows things? Does it mean that we do not have any option? If we were chosen before the beginnings of, of creation... If we were chosen before the creation of the world, did we not have a choice? Did God's choosing us eliminate our choice? Do we not have an option? Do we not have free will? I don't think that that's what Paul is saying at all. I believe that God, in his foreknowledge, knew those who would receive his gift of salvation. And that God decided beforehand, before the creation of the world, that God decided that anyone who would accept his son's offer of forgiveness through his death on the cross would be saved, made holy and blameless in his sight. I think of it kind of like this. A couple of weeks ago, Jonathan's class took a field trip, and we went to see the movie Happy Feet 2. 
And I was a chaperone for this field trip, trying to corral two, not just one, but my, my son and one of his classmates, two five-year-old boys, during an hour, and a, they could not have picked a longer movie for this, for this adventure. So here I am, corralling these two boys, one on either side of me, Jonathan wanting to be in my lap during the movie, and wanting to climb all over me when the scary parts happen, and uh, his little buddy, uh, who was uh, Braden, and everywhere Braden went, uh, Jonathan went the other way, and so I'm sitting here trying to crowd these two boys to this movie, um, but I, I, I went to the movie, and I watched the movie, didn't enjoy it very much, but I watched the movie, uh, but let's say I did enjoy the movie, let's say I just loved the movie, and the movie was fantastic, and it was great, and so I, I go to my buddy Brandon, and I say, hey Brandon, I said, I saw this amazing movie, it'll change your life, happy feet too, we're going. So Brandon and I go to the movie, and we sit down at the movie, have a seat, and we're watching the movie. Oh, Brandon, you've got to see this. This next part is great. This, oh, it's going to change your life. Oh, it's going to be awesome. And, and so we're watching the movie, right? And on the movie, on the screen, I tell Brandon what's going to happen next, and sure enough, it happens. You can go have, have a seat. So it, goes, it happens. Did I make it happen? No, I didn't make it happen, but I knew that it was going to happen. How did I know that it was going to happen? Because I'd seen it before. I had foreknowledge. That's what foreknowledge is. It's knowing something is going to happen before it happens because you've already seen it. God, who exists outside of time, time is his creation, he exists outside of time, has already seen all the events of history. Did he make them happen? No. But he knew they were going to happen. So he said, before the creation of the world, I'm going to create people. These people are going to rebel and reject and turn against me. Why would he do that? Why would he create us anyway, knowing that we would turn against him, knowing that we would rebel against him, knowing that we would reject him? Because God is a creative God. God is a creator. He is a loving father. He created people in his image. He didn't just create us and hope for the best. Oh, I hope they love me. Oh, I hope they don't sin. Oh, man, they, they blew it. It's not what happened at all. God created us. He knew that we would turn against him. He knew that we would rebel. And then he knew that he would send his son to be our savior. He knew that he would send his son to save us from our sins. And so before the beginnings of creation, before the beginning of time, he knew that he would send his son Jesus so that whoever would believe in him, as Brandon pointed out in his communion meditation this morning, John 3.16, whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Before the beginning of time, he made a way that we could be holy and blameless in his sight. Second blank on your outline. Predestined through Christ. Look at Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. We have been, uh, in this incredible act of love and grace, we have been adopted into God's family. We are part of God's family. I know we have some families in our church who have adopted kids. And it's just amazing that, you know, that, that they love you know, these kids and, and, and they are brought into their family. 
And nothing can change the love that they have for them. Nothing can, it, it, it's not like, well, you're somebody else's kids. You are our kids. You are our family. We are a family. God has adopted us through his son, Jesus Christ. He predestined, he predetermined that anyone who would believe and accept his son, Jesus, would be adopted into his family. And now we are his family. And I've said it before, and it's one of my favorite concepts in all of Scripture, this concept of adoption and God bringing us into his family, that God is the king and that we are his children. It says right there that we are sons. And, and I believe it also means that we are daughters. I'm not, I'm not a daughter, but you know what I mean. We are sons and daughters. We are his sons and we are his daughters. And as the children of a king, that gives us a special title. The, the son of a king is called a, a prince. The daughter of a king is a princess. You want to know what your identity is in Jesus Christ? You are a prince or a princess. That is your identity in Jesus. You are the son and you are the daughter of a king. And he looks at you like that. He sees you as his precious, precious child. Before time even began, he predetermined, he predestined that anyone who would accept his offer of salvation would be adopt. He would adopt you into his family and call you his own and make you his child. And now you are a prince and you are a princess, the child of a king. That is so awesome. That is so amazing. And it's all because of his incredible love. In Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to get to this verse in a few weeks. In Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, Paul wrote, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, may have some kind of power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That somehow you may have the power, the, the power given by God's Holy Spirit living within you, that somehow you may have this power to be able to somehow grasp, to be able to somehow understand just how amazing the love of God is in His Son, Jesus Christ. May you somehow have power to understand this amazing love and grace that God has given to us, that calls you son and daughter prince and princess. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. We pick it up. It says, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery, there's that word, that mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. We have been redeemed in Christ. We have been redeemed in Christ. In, if, in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, Paul wrote, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, when I think about redemption... I think of these extreme couponing shows. How many of you like the extreme couponing? Anybody? Extreme couponers? I know someone who loves couponing. And she 
has a binder, a three-inch binder full of coupons. And every time I get ready to go to the store, wait. (laughs) Let me give you some coupons. Okay. And I stand there, coupon, 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 coupon. On the coupon itself, there's a word that is used in this passage, and it's the word redemption. That when you go to the store with your bundle of coupons and you redeem the coupons, you are paying for your groceries by redeeming these coupons. The word redemption, what it literally means is to pay for something, right? To redeem means to pay for. And so I think about these extreme couponers, and they have the shows like on TLC, and and people go to the store with thousands of coupons, and they have they buy hundreds of dollars worth of stuff and they pay less than twenty dollars for it. There's one guy. He's got an amazing story. He can go to the store and he can buy eighteen hundred dollars worth of stuff and not pay a penny for it. Because he, he he plans the coupons and everything like that. And what he does with it, he's a he's a seminary student, and what he does is a lot of the stuff he buys, he donates to food shelters. So he gets all this stuff for free. By using coupons, he stands in line for like three hours, which would just drive me bonkers, you know, just standing in line, praying that the coupons go through. Boop. Oh, no. I have nervous breakdown after nervous breakdown every time I heard boop. But the coupons are redeemed to pay for the groceries. In Christ, we have been redeemed. There was a price paid for us. The price was Jesus' blood. We, as sinners, needed to be redeemed. We were slaves to sin. We needed to be bought. We needed to be redeemed. We needed redemption. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, the Bible says that the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. It was through Jesus' blood that He paid the price for our sins. It was through Jesus' blood that He redeemed us, that He paid for us. One of my favorite stories is of a little boy who built a, a toy boat. And one day he was down at the river playing with his toy boat, and he loved this, he loved this boat so much because he made it. And so he, he has this boat, and he's, he's got it in the water, and it's sailing, and all of a sudden the string on the boat broke, and it started going down the river. And he chased it as far as he could until it sailed off in the distance. The current was too great and, it, and his boat sailed off in the distance. He was distraught, just torn up. For days and weeks he lamented the loss of his boat. Until one day, he's walking down the street past a resale shop. And in the window, he sees his boat. And he gets so excited. He runs in the store as fast as he can. And he says to the, the guy behind the counter, Mr., 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 you've got my boat. You've got my boat. It's in your window. Well, I'm sorry, son. That boat costs a dollar. And he runs home and he breaks open his piggy bank and he counts up the money and he, he's got four quarters. And he runs back to the store as fast as he can. He says, Mr., 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 you've got my boat. That boat costs a dollar. And he slams the quarters down on the, on the counter. He says, you may have the boat. And he takes the boat and he, touch, he clutches it tight to himself. And he says, 
Now you're twice mine. I made you and then I bought you. And that is what redemption is all about. That in Jesus Christ, God says, I made you and then I bought you. You are twice mine. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We are redeemed and we are paid for free and clear by God's grace. It is a free gift of his grace and his love. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, we see our next passage. In him we were also chosen. Do you see the theme here? The word in, the in him, in Christ, it's everywhere. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. The next word on your outline is hoping. Hoping in Christ. You know, like I said, Paul talked about this mystery and he talks about the first to hope in Christ and then the rest who would hope in Christ. He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. That the first to hope in Christ were the Jews and then the Gentiles. In the book of Acts, we see that uh, the Jews are the first to hear the gospel. And then the gospel of Jesus Christ then goes to the Gentiles in the house of Cornelius. And it's just this awesome story about how those who were not a people became a people. How those who were not part of God's family are adopted into God's family. How those who were, had no hope and no identity were given an identity through Jesus Christ. This mystery that Paul talks about is how God takes the Gentiles and makes them part of his family. And it is through Jesus Christ. Christ that this happens and it gives us hope we live in such hopeless times we live in a world where nobody has, seems to have any kind of hope at all uh, we want things to get better but we just don't think they will we, 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 read, we watch the news, we read the newspaper we read the websites and, and we see that everywhere you know, people are losing jobs and people are losing their homes and people are losing hope and we need hope so bad. But we find here in Scripture that hope comes through Jesus Christ. In Him we have real hope, that we can hope in Christ. We can have true hope in Him, that He will never leave us, that He will never forsake us, that He will never turn His back on us that he will always forgive us, that he will always love us. We talked earlier about that passage about his great love for us, how that, that we, we need the power of the Spirit just to be able to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. This love, you've got to know it. You've got to feel it. You've got to believe it because it's real. And it gives real hope. We can have real hope in Jesus Christ. We can have real hope that we will be saved. We can have real hope that he's coming again and that when he does, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, when Jesus Christ comes again, he will bring with him our loved ones who have died in him, that we will have a great reunion with those whom we know who have died in the Lord, that we will see those loved ones again, that we will be together for all eternity, that we will spend eternity with one another in the presence of God. That is the hope that we have. And it's, it's not a wish upon a star, like I said a couple weeks ago during Christmas time. It's not a wish upon a star. It is a rock-solid guarantee. It is a rock-solid 
guarantee. And we're going to talk about a guarantee in just a moment. But first I want to talk about Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, the first half of the verse. It says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The next blank on your outline is included in Christ. Those who were excluded were now included because of Jesus. They were part of the in crowd. Nobody wants to be excluded. Nobody wants to be ostracized. Nobody wants to look like the fool. Nobody wants to be standing on the outside looking in. We want to be part of the in crowd. We want to be part of the insiders. We want to be an insider. We want to be on the inside looking out. We want to be with everybody else. We want to be included. And that happens in Christ. That He takes us. Though we may be excluded from His people, He brings us in to be part of His people. When the Gentiles heard and responded to the gospel, they were adopted and included. And the same thing goes for us. We're made a part of God's family. And that's what we are, is we are a family. We're talking about this theme this year, held together by His love, that we need God's love to hold us together. We need God's love to help us love one another and encourage one another and be with one another. And sometimes, yeah, we've got to put up with one another. But it's a part of being a family. And in every family, there are things like sibling rivalry. How many of you got brothers and sisters? How many of you ever fought with your brothers and sisters? Absolutely. My parents had to wonder what was going on in the basement between me and my brother sometimes. Are they going to kill each other today? They were they, probably terrified. The screaming and the yelling and the... <laughs> but you know what is interesting? This is a total side note. But my brother and I used to fight like cats and dogs. Okay? But we had an unwritten rule. The unwritten rule was you never hit each other in the face. You hit each other in the arm, chest, stomach, never in the face. I missed one time. We're going at it. Smack, smack, smack. Hit, hit, hit. And I accidentally hit him in the face. And he just stops. Whoa! Whoa, 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 whoa. You hit me in the face, man. Never mind the fact that we're pummeling each, each other as hard as we can. But he stops everything. You hit me in the face, man. Not in the face. You know, it, it's that sibling rivalry, but, but there's still rules. And we may have sibling rivalry in the church, but we're still going to love each other. We're still going to get along. We're still going to work together. We're still going to pray together. We're still going to play together. We're going to have a good time. We're going to be a family we got to love each other. It's all about love, man. we got to love each other in Jesus Christ because we are included in Christ. Do we, I mean, there are times, yeah, we'll cross the invisible line in the back seat. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, shh, don't cross the, shh, shh. Will you stop touching me? Will you stop touching me? There will be times when we got this going on in the family. But we got to love each other no matter what because we're all we've got. We're all we got. We got to love each other. We are included in Christ. We are adopted into his family. We are made his sons and daughters. You're my, fellow, you're my brother. You're my sister. And here's the cool thing. Who's the original son of God? Jesus. We are his brothers. We are his sisters. We are part of his family. You are included. You're not, you're not an outsider. One of my favorite things is in the book of Psalms, Psalm 23. And towards the end of Psalm 23, it says, You anoint my head with oil. Okay? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. Do you know what that means? It means in God's presence. When God welcomes you into his presence. And when you come in and you dine and you fellowship with him. And he dines and he fellowships with you. They would anoint the heads 
of honored guests with oil in David's day. You anoint my head with oil. They would pour oil over their heads of honored guests, of VIPs. You are not a nobody. You want to know what your identity is? You are an honored guest in God's presence. You are a somebody. You are a VIP in God's presence. And he lets you know that by anointing your head with oil when you come into his presence. That's awesome. And so look around the room, folks. Look around the room for just a minute. See these people? These are your brothers and your sisters. They have been adopted into God's family just as you have been. It is the same blood, it is the same grace that has saved every single one of us. And you know what? Look around the room one more time. Get used to these faces. You're going to see them for a long time. All eternity from what I understand. So you better start learning to get along here on earth. Because eternity is a long time. I'll be fine. You go sit on your cloud and I'll go sit on my cloud. No, we're family. Family is God's idea, and he wants us all to get along and to love each other and to encourage each other and to build each other up, to be held together by his love. Last blank on your outline, marked in Christ. Love this. Marked in Christ, Ephesians 1, 13, second half of verse 13 and verse 14. Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God promised that he would send his Holy Spirit. In Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, Afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. This was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Peter gets up, he preaches this powerful sermon. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He, when we come to Jesus for salvation and forgiveness and he forgives our sins and we, 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 we believe and we repent and we confess and we're baptized and, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, that Holy Spirit is a seal. It is a mark. Not a seal, but it is kind of a seal that they did in those days where uh, the property owner would seal everything that belonged to him. He had a special seal, and he would put it on his cattle. He would put it on his animals. He would put it on his possessions. He would put it on his slaves. He would seal his slaves because they belonged to him. And when God puts his Holy Spirit in you, he says, you're mine. You are my possession." I own you. You belong to me. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And it is a deposit that what? Guarantees. It is a guarantee of our inheritance. It is a guarantee. In 2 Corinthians 1.22, Paul wrote, He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. You know what? There are not many things that are guaranteed in this life. We, we, we'll talk about two, right? Two things you're guaranteed of. Death and taxes, right? There's not too many things that we can be sure of. But let me tell you what. When the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of you, when the Holy Spirit lives in you, you receive God's grace, uh, His gracious gift of salvation, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, that is God's guarantee that you will spend eternity with Him. 
There's only one way out of it. There's only one way out of it. Just say, you know what, God? I don't want any part of it. I don't believe it. I don't want it. I'm done. I'm walking away. Don't want to go to heaven. Don't want you in my life. Don't want anything to do with you. To turn your back on God and say, you know what? I'm done. I do not believe that Jesus is the Christ. I do not believe that God, that you love me. I do not believe that Jesus died for my sins. That is the only way out. But what, what if I sin? You're going to sin. But what if I do this? You're going to do that. What if I do that? You're going to do this. Paul wrote in Romans, he talks about how, you know, I know the things I'm supposed to do and yet I don't do them. And I know the things that I'm not supposed to do and yet I do those things. God's forgiveness is still there. Jesus says there's only one unforgivable sin, and that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We hear that and we think, oh, man, I hope I don't do that. What does that mean? To blaspheme the Holy Spirit, to blaspheme someone means to call them a liar. The Holy Spirit's testimony, the Holy Spirit testifies that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to call the Holy Spirit a liar and say, nope, Jesus is not the Christ. He is not the Son of the living God. That is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So the only way out, the only unforgivable sin is to say, nope, ain't true. And there are so many people in our world living that lie. That makes our job so much more important. But God says, when he puts his spirit in you, he is sealing you, he is guaranteeing you eternal life. If we will remain faithful unto death and faithfully walk with Christ, will we stray off the trail? Yeah. Will we lose our way? Yeah. But like a good shepherd, he brings us right back. You have a seal. You have a mark in Christ of ownership on you. You belong to him. And he belongs to you. So the question I ask, at the very bottom of your outline there, this last question, how does your identity in Christ change your view of God and your relationship with him? You have an identity in Christ. We've talked about six of them. You are chosen in Christ. You are predestined through Christ. You are redeemed in Christ. You hope in Christ. You are included in Christ. You are marked in Christ. You have an identity. God has given you an identity through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. So my, my, my encouragement to you today is embrace your identity. No more identity crisis. Embrace your identity in Jesus. You may think that God is ashamed of you. You may think that he is out to get you. You may think that he doesn't like you. And there is nothing that is further than, the cru- further than the truth. Because when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. Because you belong to him. And that is the fact of the matter. And that is the truth. In Galatians, it says that all of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so when you accept God's offer of salvation, he clothes you with Jesus. And when he sees you, he doesn't see Debbie. He doesn't see Barbara. He doesn't see Bob. He doesn't see Andy. He doesn't see Sean. He sees Jesus. And that is who you are in Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gracious gift of salvation you have given to us through your son Jesus. Thank you for this free gift of love that we can have a new identity, that we can be clothed and wrapped in the blood of Jesus, that we can be clothed in Christ, and that you don't see us, but you see your son, and we have this brand new identity. So I pray today that 
for those who've never offered, accepted your offer of salvation, that, uh, God, I pray today that you would uh, prick our hearts, that you would speak to us through your spirit, that you would change our understanding and our, our opinion of ourselves and our opinion of one another, but that we may know the truth. That we are princes, we are princesses, loved by a great king. Thank you for this new identity you've given us through Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.